History Makers with Matt Prater. Coming off of drugs, you're going to have emotional problems, but I kept chasing after God. And he's using this vehicle to bring people out of the dark into the light. And I went forward and I knelt at the front, and it, it was a radical conversion experience. And that's where the big change happened, and that's where we decided we're going to use our music for God, we're going to change our songs. When I was about 25 year old, I was uh, busted and into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're chatting with Scott Walters from Opportunity International, and we're going to hear a bit about the incredible work they do all around the world with micro enterprise loans. But we're also going to hear a bit of Scott's story today. Welcome along, mate. Tell us your background. Where were you born and raised? Oh, good morning, Matt. Thanks. Uh, for having me on. It's great to be part of your show today and um, uh, welcome to your listeners as well. Um, Matt, born and raised in Brisbane, uh, go the Mighty Maroons. Uh, so uh, <laughs> although living in New South Wales now, a staunch um, Maroons supporter in state of origin, uh, went to school there and, and uh, lived there until moving overseas in the late 80s. Oh, fantastic. What suburb are you from? Tarragindi. Tarragindi, there you go. I'm a north side boy myself. <laughs> there you go. And tell us about your upbringing in Tarragindi. Did you have like a religious upbringing at all? Look, I'd say that I grew up in a nominally Christian family. Yes, mum and dad, certainly I remember in the early days of my life uh, taking us to church. And uh, I'm a twin, actually. I'm an identical twin. So if you see me wandering around in Brisbane and I don't acknowledge you, I'm not being rude. It's just not me. It's him. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we went to St. Luke's Anglican Church in Eckerton. Uh We went through junior fellowship and then on to senior fellowship. My memory tells me that mum and dad kind of stopped going to church, but I think to this day, and they're both still alive in their early 90s, they would hold uh, firmly to the Christian values that they instilled in us. Um, and my brother and I went to churchy and uh, participated in youth groups so, yeah, no Damascus Road experience for me early in my life, but um, God had other plans. Mm, okay, so would you say that there was one point where you say, yep, I crossed the line of faith at that youth camp or at that altar call, or do you think you just always believed? I think I always had a sense that uh, there was a God and that God loved me and wanted the best for me, but... Yeah, I have a couple of enduring memories from youth group of just feeling like I'd come home and that I was in, I was where I, I wanted to be, where I was happy, where I was, to use a, a word that Miroslav Volf uses a lot in his writing, uh, content. Mm. And I look back now and I think that was undoubtedly the outworking and outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's been with me ever since, Matt, but I have to honestly say that I did not always uh, follow the path that I think God wanted me to path, and I had what I describe as my time in the wilderness in my late 20s and early 30s before, I guess, a, uh, a reimagining and a recommitment of my life to the Lord. Let's unpack that a bit further in a moment, but let's get back to your early life. So what did you do when you finished school? So uh, having left uh, Churchy, I went to what was then QIT, the Queensland Institute of Technology, now Queensland University of Technology. I did a degree in accounting. 
I then joined uh, what was then called Coopers and Lybrand, now PricewaterhouseCoopers. As an accountant, I did my chartered qualifications and worked in chartered accounting there for about six years before leaving Brisbane to head overseas uh, in the late 80s, ostensibly to travel for a while. And I had a return ticket uh, for six months later and uh, seven years later I came home. Well, there you go. What, what, and what part of the world did you did you get to? Well, it initially visited uh, Europe. In fact, first stop was uh, the Maldives, uh, the beautiful, the beautiful uh, uh, island nation of the Maldives, and then on to Europe and travelled around Europe. Stopped for work in London, and was lucky enough to join um, a stockbroking firm. So, although I was a chartered accountant, I had a lifelong interest in the stock market. I bought my first shares when I was sixteen and had, had always had a fascination with the workings of the market and was lucky enough to join an organisation, an Australian organisation, in fact, based in, um, or that had an office in London. And so joined the stockbroking industry and uh, then stuck that out uh, through lots of turmoil in financial markets, the, uh, the so-called Big Bang in 1986, then the crash in 1987, then the depression in the early, uh, or recession, I should say, in the early 90s, and then moved back to Australia uh, in the early 90s. I'm curious to know a little bit about your journey into ministry. Uh, you said you had a, a bit of a wilderness time in your late 20s, early 30s. Tell us, uh, what was the catalyst for you to get into ministry after that? No, no, I wasn't. I was never in ministry. Um, I, I've never been ordained or anything like that. I All I was, trying, all I was suggesting there was that... Um, uh, when I when I went travelling, I was married, and sadly, through my time in the UK, went through a divorce, and there ensued a time that um, I describe as my time in the wilderness. Um, I, I honestly couldn't say that I was uh, close to God, uh, mind you. As a, an old bumper sticker always reminds me, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? <laughs> um, and uh, so yeah, it was it was a an extraordinarily it was a time of learning. I would I would say uh, it was a time where I did a lot of self introspection, uh, examination. I did a lot of reading, um, and I, I always knew that God was there. I never felt abandoned by God. I always knew God was there, tapping me on the shoulder, reminding me of His presence, reminding me of the commitments that I had made uh, to Him. Uh, reminding me of the sacrifice that Jesus made on my behalf on the cross. And I suppose, looking back, I could say it was only a matter of, a matter of time until I came to my senses, so-called, and recommitted my life uh, to him, which I, I did upon arriving back in Australia. And um, But even that was a journey, recommitting and remembering and growing in the Lord. Um, uh, was a journey then, and it remains a journey for me now. And I understand you were involved in the Bible Society for a while. What was your involvement there? Yeah, so having spent about 25 years in the financial services industry, mostly in stockbroking and financial planning, a mix of overseas and uh, here, uh, about 20 years ago, I got involved in the not-for-profit sector. Um, I sat on a couple of boards, uh, I did some volunteer work, uh, I did a bit of consulting work uh, in the not-for-profit sector, and then ultimately, back in 2011, I joined the Smith family, and um, really for the first time got involved 
in a hands-on role rather than either being a consultant or simply sitting on a, on a board and have enjoyed that ever since. And so spent three years at the Smith family and then about seven years ago got the opportunity to join Bible Society Australia and spent seven wonderful years uh, there and had the opportunity to visit a lot of the work of Bible Society in countries like Egypt and uh, China as well as uh, places like Indonesia and um, then an opportunity came up for me to to lead Opportunity International Australia which is uh, what I did uh, most recently. Now I'm a big fan of Opportunity International. I had the privilege of going to the Philippines uh, with Opportunity International ah. uh, a few years ago and got to see firsthand uh, the lives that were transformed through these simple little micro-enterprise loans, like $100 loans. Like one lady yeah. was given a, a $100, she bought a sewing machine. She then started a business, bought another machine, employed someone. She then had like yeah. 10 people working for her. She paid the money back, and it impacted the whole village uh, because of $100 loan. I was like, wow, this is this is yeah. the best um, principle ever of, you know, the parable of the talents, you know, you give and then it, it multiplies. Um, tell us a bit about how you got involved and uh, what what, uh, what they're currently doing around the world. Yeah, well, you, you're blessed to have been able to see it firsthand, Matt. Uh, unfortunately, with current COVID restrictions, uh, I have not yet been able to visit any of our work uh, in India or Indonesia, which is where most of our uh, operations happen now. But yes, it's, a, it's an extraordinarily successful business model and incredibly powerful business model that, quite frankly, breaks the cycle of poverty. Mm. And that's what I love about it. I've known about Opportunity International for about 20 years. I met one of the former chief executives 20 years ago. I know how powerful this model is. I guess my background in financial services, as well as my interest and passion for the not-for-profit sector, come together beautifully in this particular role and with this particular organisation. Uh, I understand the power of leverage, the power of small loans to give people with, with a sense of hope and a sense of dignity the ability to help themselves, their families and their communities to break that cycle of poverty. And today, Opportunity International Australia is supporting something in excess of 6 million families in places like India and Bangladesh and Indonesia uh, through these microfinance loans, very small loans to set up a little business. I mean, you know, people are incredibly innovative, Matt, and we do well to recognise the power of innovation in people. And in some cases, that innovation is born out of desperation, but they are so grateful for the fact that somebody cares enough about them to give them a small loan. That is evidenced in the repayment rate. The current repayment rate on these loans is something like 98%. Wow. Now, now critics would say, oh, look, you'll never get the money back, but 98% repayment rate. And of course, that money is then recycled, given to somebody else to help them start their business. And so the cycle grows. So yeah, it's just beautiful to hear of these stories and I'm looking forward once uh, we're allowed to to get out to uh, these places and, and meet with the people as you've done. Uh, you know the power of it. You've seen the stories. You've, you've seen the impact in villages and uh, it's a real praise God moment. And, you know, it all started because this Aussie bloke named David Bousseau, 
uh, was overseas somewhere and he saw someone struggling and, and said, hey, I'll help you out and gave him a, a, a little loan and the guy ended yeah. up paying it. And, and the idea was born. I mean, that's an incredible story, isn't it? Oh, it's a wonderful story. And uh, it was in, it was in uh, Bali, in fact, uh, I think, where it first started. But the, the worst part of the story was the fellow to whom he gave the loan had previously had to sell his uh, or auction his sons to get money to, uh, con- to continue to survive and to even put food on the table for the rest of his family. Wow. And um, it's that kind of desperation that he was able to stop uh, by the provision of a small loan. And uh, that's, that's been um, multiplied million, literally millions of times over uh, since that happened about 50 years ago. Wow, it's just incredible. And uh, I've, I have interviewed David before uh, many years ago and uh, I was just you know, so inspired. And I think he got like Australian, Australian of the Year one year. Did he get that award at some stage? Yes, I believe he did get. It might have been Senior Australian. That's it, Senior year. Australian, yeah. Um, yeah, mm. but absolutely and and thoroughly, thoroughly deserved. And, you know, he founded Opportunity International on the basis of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm. So the work that Opportunity International does, and not just the, uh, the Australian part of Opportunity, but uh, offices in the US, as well as Canada, the UK and Germany, is all based on the fact that we are here to serve and it, we, we don't prohibit people based on their race, their gender, their ethnicity, uh, their age, uh, their gender. Uh, we are here to serve all, and, and if one of these small microfinance loans can help anybody, we're there to support them. And tell us, how is COVID affecting people in some of the nations you're, you're caring for uh, people right now? I mean, it, it, some of the statistics are just heartbreaking, aren't they? Oh, they're horrific. Um, Indonesia particularly, uh, the, the current uh, death rate is now above 100,000, uh, cases above 3 million, uh, it's starting to look like um, look like South America uh, was, and we are certainly seeing a demand for more support. And in some cases, that's because some of the people to whom we've we've lent money through our partners have seen their businesses suffer dramatically. And you know, I want to say, uh, Matt, and, and to encourage your listeners. Now's the time for organisations like us to step up. Mm. This is not the time for us to to be timid or to pull back, but rather it's now time for us to help these people. So in some cases, we're giving top-up loans to people that we've already lent money to to help them restart their businesses, to get themselves uh, back above, above uh, water, so to speak. And, um, you know, that's an important thing uh, for us to do. But... You know, you'll remember that old Skyhook song, um, uh, horror movie. You know, right there on my TV. I mean, that's what we've been. They weren't. They weren't, of course, writing about uh, this in the early '70s. But that's what we're seeing. You only have to turn on any news station these days, and it, it's uh, it is a horror story. Uh, but the good news is that Opportunity International continues to work in the field every day through our partners, serving millions and helping them through this crisis. And I do love the fact that over the years you've been saying you don't give a hand out, you give a hand up. Uh, and uh, what's that other s- uh, slogan? Don't fight poverty, end it. I love the fact that you guys have that focus and 
Uh, if people want to find out more, the website is opportunity.org.au. They can also That's search right. up Opportunity International Australia on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and all the social medias. And uh, Scott, congratulations on the new role. And uh, we pray that the Lord will continue to bless you uh, with uh, the great work you're doing with Opportunity International Australia. Uh, I reckon you're a history maker, mate. Thanks for joining us. You're a champion. Thank you, Matt. Thank you to your listeners. And uh, we look forward to staying in touch. Thanks for your prayerful support. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. You'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater and my challenge to you now is to go and make history. This year is the 50th anniversary for the Bible League. They're celebrating all that God's done in their ministry and they're praying into all that He's going to do in the next 50 years. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. To Him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. If you'd like to support the Bible League as they reach the generations to come, go to BibleLeague.com.au. Station sponsor.